0: I'll just start. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead." or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head and whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to his rules, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence.
1: Thanks so much, Ellie. That was very well read. Long passage. Well done. Well, good evening, Night Church. How are we doing? Yeah, all right. Got a bit of life in the room tonight. Good to see. Awesome. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Night Church, along with Kelsey and Nathan. It's good to be here tonight. We've got a great passage ahead of us tonight. God's got some great truths for us to hear this week. As I was preparing for this message, I was encouraged and challenged and beaten up all in one, and it's been a great week So I'm going to hope to share some great truths God has for us tonight. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that you loved us first. And you've shown us what true love is. We thank you for your word, which we can build our life on, which we can depend on, to tell us the truth about who you are and who we are and what we need to do. For the next little while, Lord, help us to concentrate Help us to have open minds, open hearts, and have wills that are ready to change. Lord, speak through me, a broken man, but use me for your glory tonight. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Oh, Amen. Oh, it's good to be here, Night Church. All right, I wonder if you've seen this movie here, Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Anyone seen it? Yeah, You, you studied it at school? Really? Hey? You're studying it right now. That's pretty cool. Well, it it was an old movie, right? And it's been remade recently with a guy you can see there, Ben Stiller. He directed it and he started it. And it's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, it's about this, right? It's about this guy, Walter Mitty, and he lives a pretty ordinary kind of boring, simple life. That is until one particular day. Now, Walter works at this magazine called Life Magazine, and it's his job to process photos. And what he does, he kind of works closely with this guy who is a crazy, wild photographer played by the actor Sean Penn. Now, what he does is he takes these amazing photos around the world and sends them to Walter to process in the photo lab. Now, the movie kind of begins with the, the magazines closing down. It's a digital age and they're going to issue their last sort of printed version of the magazine. And so Walter comes in the office and he gets this package from this crazy wild photographer, opens it up and it's for the last issue. right? And it is a, there's a bunch of um, photos in there. And then uh, written in in a card, the crazy photographer says, there's lots of good photos here, but the the absolute money shot is this one particular photo, number 25. It's amazing. I reckon that's going to be the cover, probably the best photo I've ever taken. So Walter's excited about this. He looks for it, but guess what? He can't find it. He can't find it anywhere. First one he's ever lost in his, I don't know, 20 years working there or something like that. So, of course, he tries to get in touch with this crazy wild photographer. Problem is, he's old school. doesn't have a phone. He doesn't even have a home. He kind of just goes all around the world trying to find the perfect photo. So, th- now, this, here's Walter, this boring kind of, you know, simple guy. He just goes off and has these crazy adventures. It's a great movie. He goes to Greenland and Iceland. He treks up these Himalayan mountains looking for this photographer, f- sort of f- finding, you know, um, trails of clues and trying to find him. So eventually he finds him atop of this mountain, this crazy wild photographer's there trying to get a photo of a snow leopard, right? He's pretty cool and crazy. And he's, he's sort of sitting there and Walter kind of, you know, he comes after him. He's got ice and uh, snow all over his beard and he finds him. He's like, forget his, what his name was, but, you know, actor, character played by Sean Penn. What, uh, you, uh, that, that photo you said was the absolute money shot. I couldn't find it. I looked everywhere. Where is it? and he looks at Walter just like sort of dumbfounded and he says Walter I gave it to you it's it's been with you the whole time now rewind to sort of the beginning of the movie the package that this crazy photographer sends he actually gives him a present a wallet and he puts this money shot in the wallet kind of as a little joke, but he hints to it. Like, it says, look inside, but he doesn't get the the hint. And anyway, obviously, he goes all around the world trying to find it. So the wallet is quite literally in his back pocket. He is sitting on the photo that he's asking him for. Walter went halfway around the world looking for something that he already had. Now, as I was researching this theme this week, I found out this is actually quite a popular theme. It's called the It Was With You All Along theme. And it's, it's in The Wizard of Oz, you know, Dorothy has the shoes with her the whole time, right? She's got the way to get home all the time. All she has to do is tap her feet to get home. It's in The never-ending Story, that's gone way back for you guys, that was when I was a youngster. But it's even in things like Ellie Pitt, Harry Potter, okay? You, you knew that, didn't you? All right, but even in, in films like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a young dad so I know about this, Kung Fu Panda and Moana, right? It's even in those movies where the main character has to go a long, long way away to find... What they already had. They had to go a long way to discover that what they actually really needed and wanted was with them all along. Now, tonight, we're going to examine a pretty full on claim from the Bible. We're going to examine this claim that the fullness of life so many of us desire is to be found in Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but most people I meet, Christian or not, are wanting, are seeking a full life. A life of purpose, of meaning, of satisfaction. A life that counts for something. And Paul says if you're a Christian, the fullness of life that we so desperately desire is in us. But here's the thing. Many of us will spend much of our lives and go halfway around the world looking for something that what we really needed, what we thought we wanted was out there. But really, it was with us the whole time. Now as you heard from Ellie's wonderful reading, we've got quite a chunky passage before us tonight, so we're not going to go through every single thing in there, because that would be about three or four sermons, and that's going to be past my bedtime by that time, so you'll be thanking me for that, hopefully. But for the next sort of hour and a half, what we're going to do, that's a joke, what what we're going to do in the next 20 minutes or so, is we're going to look at this, what does it really mean, fullness of life in Christ, what does that even mean? We're going to really dig down deep and try and find out what that means, how we're going to do that is we're going to look at the first couple of verses we have, verses 6 and 7, in a bit of detail. Then we're going to look at a couple of threats, I'm calling them, a couple of things that could possibly derail us from living the full life in Christ. we can look at those two things, and then we're going to try and apply all this to our head and our heart and our hands. Okay? So we're going to look at these few verses. We're going to look at two threats that can come against us from derailing us from living the full life. And then we're going to apply it to our lives. Are we ready? Yeah, who said that? Thank you very much. I tell you what, the, the, mo- the most boring thing to do for the next 20 minutes is for me to go on this journey alone. So, are you with me? Yes. One more time, are you with me? Yes. Thank you, Night Church. You've made me feel great. Let's do this together. Okay, let's rock and roll. So, let's have a look. Where am I? Let's zone in on these first couple of verses. You ready? That's what we're looking at the full life. And here's these couple verses. If you've got your Bibles in front of you, you can check it out there. I'm going to have some key verses up on the screen. Here we go. Verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So our question for tonight is, well, what is the full life? And Paul says the answer is this. Just as you received Christ Jesus, continue your lives in him. This translation I was looking at this week has, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus, so now walk in him. I love that idea. So what does it mean to have a full life in Christ? The way that we came to Jesus, the way that we came to him in repentance and faith, that's how we're to live from now on, right? Now what does that mean? The way that we came to Jesus not just as our saviour, saving us from death, but came to him as our Lord, right? We surrendered our entire lives to him. The way we came to him when we recognised that between an incredible holy God and a sinful person, there is an enormous gap that you and I can do nothing to get over. We recognise that and we realise that the only way to do that is to put our full hope and our trust and our faith in what Christ has done and not what we have done. Putting our faith in that, that's what it means to come to Christ, right? The way that we do that, that's how we're to continue. And Paul rams home this kind of idea with two metaphors, right? Being rooted and built up in him in our staff meeting, as we were a few weeks ago, we were trying to figure out what to name this series in Colossians. And we came up with above all. But before that, we were like, I don't know, what built up in him? And, and we were sort of reading this these verses for a little while. And then a, a member of our staff team said, let's just call it Rooted. <laughs> I won't say who it was, Naomi Island. But what, can you imagine that? Colossians, Rooted. That sound, I mean, that's a bit crazy. But anyway, so... Rooted and built up in him. These are the two metaphors that Paul uses to kind of hammer home his point. What does it mean, rooted? Well, what does it mean to be rooted in Christ? It means to sink our lives into the rich soil of Jesus. That's what it means. Did you know, i got no, I got no idea about landscaping or horticulture or anything, but did you know that the root system of a tree is at least as big as the expanse of its branches? The reason a tree can grow Strong and tall is because of the labyrinth, the web of roots going deep into the ground, looking for goodness that nourishes the tree. It's the same with you and I. If we want a rich life, a full life, a meaningful life, a life full of purpose, we will dig down into the goodness of who Jesus is. And this next idea of, of, sort of being uh, rooted and built up, same kind of idea. God's desire for us is to mature. Right, God's desire for us is to grow strong in our faith. And again, I don't know much about engineering, but I understand if you want to build a big building, you've got to have a firm and strong foundation. There is no growing out of anywhere else. All our growing in the Christian life is out of Christ. So be rooted and built up in him. That's what it means to have a full life. Paul says again, Strengthened in your faith. This word strengthened has to do with confirming and establishing. Make it the pattern, the purpose of your life to grow in this way. And finally, Paul finishes off by saying a life like this will overflow with thankfulness. You want to have a full life? This is how you have a full life in Christ. So then just as you received him... Continue to live your lives in him, being rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith just as you were taught, and that will result in overflowing of thankfulness. That's what it means to have a rich life. Now, isn't that interesting, that last line? What a test of our spiritual state. Are we overflowing with thankfulness? Okay, now Paul's painted quite a beautiful picture, hasn't he, of the, the beautiful life. What does a full life look like? Many of us are desiring that. What does that look like? It's beautiful, isn't it? Now Paul articulates a couple of ways that can derail us. So what does he say? What's the full life? Well, just as you receive Christ Jesus, so walk in him. But I tell you what, it's not easy. And there are a couple of ways that can derail us, take us one way or the other. Let's have a look at the first one. First one, I, I don't know about the title here. There's two threats. I like to call it Jesus and. And what does that mean? Let's have a look. We know that Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians. He, didn't meet, he hadn't met them yet. He heard about them from a friend of his who was in prison with him, Epaphras. But he heard that they were doing well and they were growing in their faith. And he wrote to them to encourage them in their young faith. And he'd heard, we don't know heaps about this, but what we do know is that there were some folks in the town of Colossae that were pestering these Christians. And what were they saying? We reckon they said something like this. Jesus sounds great, but you are crazy if you think you can put all your hope just in one deity, in one God. If you want to have fullness of life, guys, I mean, just pick and choose from heaps of things. Add to your spiritual smorgasbord. You will be better off for it. Don't put all your eggs in the Jesus basket. We can kind of see this in verse 8. Let's have a look at it together. This is Paul's sort of warning to them. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, on the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Now, what's he saying here? Well, Paul's not against philosophy, which just means the love of wisdom. If you read the New Testament, Paul argues with great wisdom. So he's not against that. What is he against? He's saying, don't do this. Don't take a bit of Jesus... And mix it in with something else. Don't do that. Because then what you get, you don't really get Jesus. Right? You take a bit of Jesus and a bit of hollow philosophy, right? A bit of the pagan philosophy, a bit of pagan religion. You you bring that together with Jesus. He's saying, do not do that. Now, what has that got to do with us? What kind of threat is present in us? Remember Paul saying, if you want a full life, you will continue in how you received him. But I tell you what, what's the warning for us here? Now, I've been thinking about it this week. I, you can come back at me. After. Don't heckle me now. But you can tell me later if, if you did disagree with me. But I've, I've been thinking maybe it's the rising voice of secular atheism in our society. Maybe. Right? It's not big. It's a, it's a minority but it's a growing minority and it's a vocal minority. And maybe for you, your hope in Christ, your trust in Christ gets eaten away when you hear really aggressive arguments against the Christian faith. You know, It makes you sort of doubt the truth claims of who Jesus is. And if that's you tonight, then you need to be assured in the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. That's what you need tonight. So that might be you, but I don't know, I don't reckon that's really... What's coming against us today? That might be you, but I think for most of us, the real threat that comes against us in living the full life in Christ is we take a bit of Jesus and we take a lot of what the world says to find our meaning in and we put them together. Now, I don't know if many of us would articulate like this. Like, yeah, I'm putting my hope in a little bit of Jesus and lots of other things, but... If we really examined the way we live, would it betray us? Would it, if we really examined in the light of Christ what our life looks like, what are we spending our money on? What are we spending our time on? What are we putting our hope in, our dreams in? Let me put it this way. What are we going for for our functional life? satisfaction every day. Here's what I think a lot of us do, me included. We think, yep, Jesus is great. I got my ticket into heaven. That's awesome. I got my fire insurance. But for my daily satisfaction, for my daily desires to be met, for for, for my desire for purpose, for meaning, for a life that counts for something, I'm going to so many other things. Is that you? And you know what happens when we do that? We kind of, with this Jesus and what happens is we, kind of, we, we get this mutant faith, this kind of faith that looks a bit gross. It kind of reminds us of you know, Frankenstein's monster, right? It kind of had that thought this week. I mean, look at him. He's hideous, right? The reason he's hideous is because he's sewn together by other bits of dead humans, right? He's gross. Is that what our faith can possibly look like when we take truths about who Jesus is And we say, yeah, great, I've got my hope in you for heaven. But for our daily functional needs to be met, when we go elsewhere, our faith begins to look like this. It's not pretty. Let me ask. Here are some of the diagnostic questions, right? Do I actually trust Christ to satisfy me? Do I trust, this is a question I ask myself a lot, do I trust that what Jesus has for me in my life is greater, is better than what I want for my life? Do I trust him over myself for my future happiness? Do I really? I mean, what do we actually find ourselves daydreaming about when we don't have to think about anything else? Where are we going to scratch the itch to quench the thirst for meaning and purpose and desire? what if taken from you think about what what if something that you are putting so much of your hope in was taken away from you what is it that if that were to happen your life would feel unlivable what is it so these are helpful questions when we're trying to think about who are we really what are we really putting our hope and our trust in and it's fascinating paul uses this word here taken captive isn't that an interesting idea what have we gone to for meaning and purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction? we're now there, but we're actually taken captive by it. We're almost been held prisoner. What is that for us? We may not have been deceived by fine-sounding arguments, but maybe by believing the lie that everything else except Jesus can truly satisfy us. And do you know what we've done in the process? We've sold ourselves short. We think, okay, we get a bit of Jesus and we get lots of other stuff. We think we get more, but the truth is we get less. C.S. Lewis says it best as usual. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Maybe that's what's coming against us in living the full life. What else? What could be another thing? Let's have a look at the second threat, something I'm calling forgetting our first love. For some of us, What's Paul say the full life is? So then just as you received him, that as you came to him, as you came to accept the gospel, so walk in that way. Continue to live your life in that way. Never move on from that way. Some of us go down and think, well, Jesus is great, but man, I want so many other things. But some of us go a different way. Some of us might forget our first love. And what do I mean by that? Well, in verses 16 to 23... Paul highlights the dangers of giving in to these people in Colossae who are trying to urge the Christians there to do more for their faith, to believe in other things for sure, but actually to do more to be certain of their place with God. Now, what does that do when we put our hope and our trust and our focus on what we do? It takes us away from what Jesus has already done. A famous preacher says, you don't spell Christianity D-O. You spell it D-O-N-E. You spell every other religion, every other man-made philosophy like D-O. You've got to do things. You spell Christianity like D-O-N-E. It is done in Christ. But the problem is that when we we take our focus of what Christ has done and we focus on what we do, we absolutely lose our hope in Christ, who is our anchor. Think about that. Our anchor is in, in Christ, and we just cut the cord and we focus on what we do, we are untethered to the goodness of Christ. That is not a good place to be in. And what a perfect illustration the New Testament gives us in the Pharisees, right? These people, they get a, a bad rap, right? But back in the day, they were... Sorry, I'm That Back in the day, I was thinking, do I do? It? It's distracting. No, I don't care, I'm itchy. Back in the day, right, Pharisees weren 't bad people they they everyone looked up to them. they were the absolute religious gurus, right But I tell you what God entrusted them with his people, and they cared more about rules and regulations than about the people in under their care that God had entrusted to right in Luke six, Jesus is in the synagogue it 's the Sabbath, the religious people, the Pharisees are thinking. Is he going to do anything on the Sabbath? Because that's totally forbidden. And what does Christ do? He does something. He heals a person who's in need. He heals a poor man with a shriveled hand. And they care more about Jesus breaking a rule than about this poor man with a withered hand. What have they done? They're focused on the what and totally forgotten the why. You see where we're coming from here? Forgotten their first love. Forgotten why we're here. Maybe that's some of us. Have you ever wondered why there are revivals in church history? Why there are cycles of renewal in the church? You know, why are there sort of ebbs and flows within church history? I've often thought about this. If if Jesus is really on the throne, why isn't it always just up and up? Why isn't it like that? Here's the reason. Because we can accept the gospel and then a generation later they can assume it A generation later, they deny it. That's why. Because we can take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and we can take it and turn it into boring and dead religion. That's what people, unfortunately, do really well. And it's so sad. And it's been done too often. Here's a picture of an old dude from church history called... Oh, actually, what we'll do is... Yeah, let's read this here first and then we'll look at the old dude ready let's read this together verses 22 and 23 ready these rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings such regulations right rules indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence they lack any value in doing that because they have no power Focusing on the what, forgetting the why. And let me tell you about our, our friend here, Jonathan Edwards. Who is he? He lived in the... Now, I always get confused with between the hundreds and the centuries. I think it was 1700s, which is 18th century. Yeah, I'm getting some nods from the school teacher over there. You Good, thank you. Okay. He lived in the 18th century, 1700s, in the northeast of America. Right? Jonathan Edwards is kind of the grandfather of revivals in many ways. He was part of what we now call the Great Awakening through his ministry, the ministry of other great people, many, many, many thousands came to Christ. But before all that, he was a young guy, a young Anglican minister who inherited his grandfather's church. And man, he did it tough. He wrote about his, all his journeys. It's really fascinating. He wrote that he, he really he tried to love his congregation, but they were tough. They were hard work. He called them dry bones, he right, called them dry bones, they had, a, they had a, a form of godliness but denying its power, quoting 2 Timothy 3 there. Right, these people were good, respectable people in his congregation. But there was a disconnect between head and heart. They knew a lot about theology. They knew a lot about who God was. They could have passed a theology exam, you know, a test on religion. But there was an enormous gap between the head and the heart. What they had was kind of empty religion. The head but a hollow soul. And what's fascinating is the children of these people could see it. Children are very perceptive. They, could, they can see it. They saw the hypocrisy of their parents' religion and they denied it out of hand. They didn't want have anything to do with it. Now, what did it take to revive these people? What did it take to change? Now, what it took, took primarily was God to have mercy and to pour his spirit on these people in an amazing way, which happened. But when he did that, what occurred? The people in Jonathan Edwards' church were given fresh eyes not to see a new set of rules, not to see a new teaching, not to see a new charismatic leader bringing a new revelation from God. No, they were given fresh eyes to see what was already there. You see that? They were given fresh eyes to see the true picture of who God is. That he is a magnificent, awesome, supreme God who is holy like no other. And every single one of them, like every single one of us, has turned away from him and said, no thanks, I don't want you in my life. And because we've done that, we deserve death. But in Christ, we get life. That's the picture they got. They got a picture of who God really is. They got a picture of who they really are, full of sin, unable to get to this wonderful God. And they got a beautiful new realization, fresh eyes to see the grace, the gift of who Christ is. You see that? that, that, That's what happened. And it's amazing what went on in his church. I mean, people were falling over in their pews when they rediscovered the goodness and the grace of God. Now, I want to ask tonight, where are we at with this? Have we forgotten our first love? Have we forgotten how we began? What's, What's a full life? So then, just as you received Christ Jesus, the same way you came to him, continue to live your life in him. Walk in him in that way. Do not deviate where are we at? Have we forgotten our first love? You see, the solution to a compromised faith, a mutant faith, sort of a, a Frankenstein's monster faith, and the solution to a lifeless faith is actually really to understand, with our head and our heart and our hands, what it means to have fullness of life in Christ. If we did that, we'd never look anywhere else, and we'd never doubt its power. Now, remember a couple of weeks back—I think it was two weeks ago—when we looked at the Supreme Jesus and we looked at the Cosmic Christ. I you know two, two weeks is a long while ago. Remember we looked at that? Now our minds were blown about who Jesus is. Ready? We're going to get a thirty-second recap. Here we go. Ready? Strap in. Who's Jesus? He's the image of God, the firstborn over all creation, maker of all things we can see and can't see. He's always been existence. He holds the universe together. He's the head of the church. He rose from the dead. He's making a new people for himself. And his job and his job alone is to redeem all things, which means to make all things right. And that's what he's doing. Now, that is mind-blowing, right? I mean, it's just, it's it's. Can't you cannot overcome with the awesomeness of it? But I reckon Paul ups the ante in this passage even more. How? Because he says this supreme Jesus, this cosmic Christ, you are united with him. Just think about that for a second. What? This supreme Jesus, you are in him. You are united with him. Now Paul's trying to make a point. He says you are in him eight times. In this passage. He says, Live in him, be rooted and built up in him, fullness in him, circumcised with him, buried with him, raised with him, alive with him, forgiven in him. Paul's trying to make a point, right? And in verses 9 through 15, Paul kind of this is really interesting. He he unites all the ways we are in him with the events of Jesus' death and resurrection. So we're gonna really quickly go through them, then we're gonna try and apply this to our lives, okay? So He unites a lot of these ways we're in him with the the death and resurrection of Jesus. First thing, we are united with Jesus in his death. Now, what does that mean? It means that we are justified. It means, picture you're in a courtroom, picture that you are in in the defendant's box, I don't know, and you are guilty, and you know it and everyone knows it, and you are just about to be declared guilty, but Jesus comes in and says, no, he's innocent. Why? Because of what I've done, I will take the rap for him. Because of that... Because of that enormous change from death to life, we are now actually able, it is possible, to be united with him. Do you see that? Without that happening, we couldn't be with him whether we wanted to or not. But because we are, we are in him, we are united with him in his death, that is possible. The next thing, we are buried with him. What does that mean? In this passage, Paul is trying to convey that our old life is gone and our new life has come. And I tell you what... That is just mind-blowing when you think about what that really means. It means that we are able to live a life that pleases God. Beforehand, we could not. Our life was dominated by sin. But now, we are able to live a life pleasing to God. We are, we are sanctified. We are being sanctified. That, what, that's what that means. We are able to live a life pleasing with God. Are we going to struggle with sin still? Absolutely. Is sin going to be our master? Is it going to master us? Absolutely not. Why? Because we have a new master now. You see that? So we've been, we've been justified. That means we can be united with him. We, we are united with him in, in his burial. That means we can live a new life that pleases him. Sin no longer masters us. We actually also have been raised with him, meaning that we have the indwelling spirit 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 As well, the spirit and the spirit. That's a good combo. We have the indwelling spirit in us. What does that do? It daily applies the work of Christ to our life. The final thing, get this, verse 15 says that we share in who Christ is in a way, I want to read this so I don't get it wrong, that we share in the victory Christ has over the spiritual forces of evil in this world. Think about all that for a second. Now, if that's all true, how could we ever lose the wonder of what it means to be united with him? Why would we ever go and look for fullness of life anywhere else? Why would we ever look at the do's and don'ts at the what and forget the why? When would we ever do that? Remember our good old friend Walter Mitty, who went halfway around the world in search for something that he had all along? What we have or will ever need in Christ, we never need to look anywhere else. Okay. Now, this is what we've been talking about tonight, right? Full life in Christ. We've just kind of been given a bit of a theology lesson. We've, we've really we've tickled our minds with what it means to be in and united with Christ. But let's I, I want to get practical. Let's get really practical practical about what it means to have a full life in christ what does it really look like let's rewind a bit and let's look at the idea of the building remember that if you want to build a big building your foundation stone better be good the way you begin because it's the first one right and what does paul say the key to living a full life is so then just as you receive christ jesus as lord so now walk in him so continue your life in him so that Is the recipe for a full life. Okay. But how do we really do that? How do we take each building block of our lives and put it on the foundation stone of Jesus? Because if we do that, it has to be shaped like the foundation stone. Does that make sense? That's how we build a full life. We take each part of our lives and put it on the foundation stone to be shaped, to be molded, to be built on, the foundation stone of Jesus. Now, what does that look like? Let me give you a a personal, practical example. What about something like marriage? Right Now, some of us here are married. Some of us here will be married. Some of us aren't. That's okay. But let me just talk about what it means for me personally to take this big part of my life and shape it and mould it on the foundation stone of Jesus. Well, I've been married for 13 years now, and... um, Let's, let's take this example. Okay, so let's. when my wife and I, when we fight, we never fight. I had to actually ask someone what it's like to have a real fight because we never had one. <laughs> Kidding. Neville Naden was up here a few weeks ago, and he was talking about something similar. And he said, oh, my wife and I, we never fight. We just have intense moments of fellowship. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to use that. Thank you, Neville. I credited him, though, but thank you. And so when my wife and I have intense moments of fellowship, right, and we have those moments and, and we, we get through them and we reconcile, which we make sure we do. Here's my temptation. I say I forgive you, but I don't really. I oh, Yeah, it's okay, but you know what I, re- I do often? I'll put that away and I'll put it in the chamber and I'll use that as ammunition for our next intense moment of fellowship. Right? That's That's... My temptation—I really struggle to let things go. Now, how do I take that particular situation in my marriage, and how do I put that? How do I walk in the way I began? Right? How do I put that on the foundation stone of Jesus? Well, I look at the gospel, and I say, Did Jesus do that with me? When I came to Him in repentance and faith, when I do daily to do that, does Jesus say? Well, I don't know, Dave. I mean, here's all the list of things you've, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm trying to forgive you for, but I'll try and forgive you for this. But I mean, does he remind me of all my sin and guilt and shame and all my faults? No. He declares that my sin is as far from me as the east is from the west. And that's pretty far because those two things can never meet. This is who Jesus is. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. You see how we shape our lives on the foundation stone of Jesus? We don't f- shape our lives on some newfangled teaching. We always look back to how we began. You see that? Marriage is a great one because I tell you what, there are so many examples every single day to serve or to be served. Every day. And you've got kids, that's just multiplied by 100. Every day there's that temptation to sleep in, to pretend you didn't hear that baby cry, right? to so many opportunities like that but what did jesus do jesus came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many amen that's who jesus is how do we live a full life in christ we shape our lives on the foundation stone of jesus we never move away from the way we began let's think of another example what about this issue of body image? Now, I know more uh, women struggle with this than men. Guys do struggle with it as well. But I've had a chat to a few women friends of mine this week. And this is a massive issue. Where does a lot of our pain come from in this particular issue? It's because are we really going back to who, how God sees us? No. We are... Our our definition of beauty is culturally defined. And what we are really craving is other people's affirmation. What we really should be seeking from God, we are looking for in other people. Their expectations are crushing us or the mirror is crushing us because what we really want to see isn't there because we want to impress other people. And what does that produce? Guilt, shame, judgmentalism, condemnation. How do we take that piece of our lives and put it on the foundation stone of Jesus? Let me tell you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You need to hear that tonight. If you are struggling with this issue, you take all that guilt and all that shame and you take it to the cross. Because what did Jesus say he's done with our sin? In our passage, he said it has been nailed to the cross. It has been done away with. How do we deal with the ongoing issue of sin in our lives? So many of us struggle with this. What do we do when we are faced with a time when we feel like sin is overwhelming us? Do we just try harder? Do we just try and think our way out of it? Do we just try and do better? No. We go back to how we began. We go back to Jesus in repentance and faith. And we try. But we don't try. Excuse me. We, we go to him and we say, Jesus, make this real to me. By your spirit, help me to realize that I am not mastered by sin anymore. I have a new master now. You see what it means to take all these building blocks of our lives and put them on the foundation stone of Jesus. I could talk way more about this tonight, but what I want to do right now is I just want to stop. I want to ask a simple question. Are we experiencing the full life in Christ? Is that us? Are we experiencing full life in Christ? Where has God been revealing to you maybe that you're a bit of this Jesus and? You think Jesus is great, but for my daily needs, I'm going to so many other places. Let me ask you, are you drinking salty water and just, just realizing you're always still thirsty? Is that you? Come to the waters of life. Come to Jesus, be refreshed. Or maybe that's not you. Maybe you're just, you've, you've forgotten your first love and you're focusing on what I need to do to make myself right with God. Is that you? Do you need fresh eyes to see the holiness of God, the enormity of our sin and the beauty of grace? Is that you? I want to ask the band to come up now. What we're going to do is we're just going to stop and we're going to have a time of response, a time of reflection. And I just want to invite anyone who's experiencing this, who's thinking, I want to have fullness of life in Christ, but I'm struggling. If that's you, I want to invite you to get some prayer tonight. I'm going to. I need it. Let me give you a a really specific example, if it's okay, if I can be really honest. My wife and I, we're planting a church next year. I've been experiencing a bit of anxiety about this the last couple of weeks. It's full on, there's a lot to think about. And I have caught myself thinking, I've got to prove myself. I've got to make sure this, this happens because this means everything. And it's rubbish. I'm, I'm judging my performance... On not what Christ has done for me, but how this is going to go. And that is a horrible way to be. Totally being up and down. When we base ourselves, our, our worth, our performance on what Christ has done, that never changes. And so we are free to treat things as they really are. I'm free to treat this opportunity to plant this church as a wonderful blessing from God. And whatever He does, He will do, and I'll be obedient. You see the difference it makes? in building our lives on the foundation of Jesus, in never moving from how we came to him. I'm going to stop now and I'm going to pray. And during this song, the prayer team, they know who they are. They're going to come down here and, and they're going to be ready to pray with you. So why don't we just bow our heads and I'm going to pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word tonight. Lord God, many of us want to come before you and say, we have been looking in so many other places for meaning and purpose and satisfaction when the whole time you've been with us and we have not been looking there. Forgive us for that. Lord, we want to experience full life in you, not in anything else, because you promised that your yoke is easy, your burden is light. And so, Lord, we ask that you would change us, help us to receive prayer if we'd like that. Lord, we also admit that many of us have forgotten how we began. We've forgotten our first love. Give us fresh eyes to see the beauty of the gospel for what it truly is, that you are a holy God, that we are utterly unable to get to you, but you have made a way through Jesus Christ. It is beautiful and wonderful. Lord, change us tonight. Don't let us leave here without doing business with you. We love you, Lord. you guys to, to stand we're all going to stand now and we're going to sing it's our offering song if you filled in a welcome card pop it in if you give this way please do so but during this song you want to receive some prayer or after this song go ahead and do that why wouldn't you a couple of weeks ago you may have remembered lots of people came down for prayer someone came down to receive salvation for the first time God is doing something in our midst